The Center for Unhindered Living presents Plus Size Polyamory with Judy and Alan, where our motto is, don't follow the crowd, follow your heart. Episode 22, Medical Discrimination in the Poly and Plus Size Communities. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a really great day so far. Welcome to the episode 22. We're normally Judy and Alan, but Alan's away today. So instead, I have another guest who's going to help me discuss this important topic, Erin uh, Marie Allen. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Judy. It's good to be here. So our topic today is discrimination and how that is experienced in the poly and plus size communities. Now, we can talk about any kind of discrimination that you've experienced, but I particularly wanted to zero in on medical discrimination. So let me first uh, introduce you. Um, you're a member of our local poly community here and you, have both, and you identified as plus size as well. So Erin is a family nurse practitioner and owner of Cura Personalis Integrative Health located in both Denver and Colorado Springs. And despite the fact that she's herself a medical practitioner, she also has experienced medical discrimination. Um, so I'd like to start off by reading a short excerpt from a WebMD article entitled, Could Dr. Bias Be Affecting Your Treatment? This article summarized the findings of Medscape's annual physician lifestyle report. This survey was done with more than 15,800 doctors, and it found that four out of 10 doctors admitted to having some form of bias or prejudice against certain patients. You know, this is probably not an accurate number because this is just the people who admitted to having bias. Probably there are a lot more that did not admit it. And so we don't really know what the true numbers are uh, because not everyone's gonna admit to that. But uh, among others, here were the top five things that could be triggered, that might trigger a physician to have bias. The first one was emotional problems. 62% of physicians said if a person came in with emotional problems, that that would give them some kind of bias or prejudice against them. The second one was weight at 52%, intelligence at 44%, language differences at 32%, and insurance coverage at 23%. So when doctors were asked to include other triggers that weren't listed in the report, um, many cited drug seeking by patients, drug abuse, malingering, which is pretending to be ill or exaggerating their symptoms, patient noncompliance, and patients with chronic pain. That could be almost everybody. Erin, <laughs> um, so, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us about some of your experiences with medical discrimination? So my personal experiences? Um, your personal experiences. My yes. personal experiences. Now, well, you know, this all started, I think the first time I really... I really tracked that this was happening for me was way back in middle school. Um, the ironic thing there is that at the time I was maybe only 10 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. um, I'm five foot four by the time I was 13, um, mm -hmm. I weighed about 130 pounds. All right. I was, I was a ballerina. I was very, very active, a lot of muscle. Um, was a size four, nothing you would consider to be obese or plus size at the time. But, uh, you know, 
I lived in Los Angeles, uh, where everybody's, you know, a sample size or a size two. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was, I was a, a, a well, well-developed uh, 12, 13 year old. Um, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, hips and a butt and breasts long before most of my classmates did. Um, right. And what was happening at the time was that I was having really horrible breathing issues. Um, this, you know, chronic cough, um, right. constantly irritated, couldn't sleep because of it, uh, was starting to then affect, of course, my schoolwork because I couldn't get any rest. I was tired all day. Um, it was just, I remember that being a really, really miserable time in my life as if middle school is not miserable enough, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I remember I saw three different doctors about it. Um, all within the health system I belonged to at the time, which I will um, not state because I don't want uh, them coming back and suing your podcast. <clears throat> but thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, every one of them, uh, with the exception of the last one, which I'll tell you about later, uh, told my mom that uh, there was nothing wrong with me and that I was fine um, and that I was just out of shape and that I needed to get more exercise and drop a few pounds. Okay. Okay. Um, which hit me wrong in the first place, you know, in, in my gut, even at that age, I knew that wasn't right. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, this went on for about four years. Um, four years of being miserable, of not sleeping, of, um, you know, wheezing and coughing all night long, wheezing and coughing after rehearsals, wheezing and coughing during rehearsals, during classes, during tests. I mean, it, it, this was miserable. Um, until I finally got to a female nurse practitioner, by the way. Um, I'm a little biased that way, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, who took one listen to me and said, you poor thing, you have asthma. You have chronic bronchitis. And sent me for the correct testing. And, um, you know, I, I finally got on a good treatment regimen for that and was able to breathe. And because I could breathe, then I could sleep. And because I could sleep, well, guess what? I had energy to do more physically and I lost my extra 10 pounds at that point. Okay. And so that was, that was my first run-in with that okay. incredibly, incredibly frustrating experience. Right. Um, and, and it, you know, it just really continued from there, uh, you know, put on my, my freshman 15 in college, which I think everybody does. Um, but, uh, and then another 10, um, after I, I got married and I got married young, I was 21, 22. And um, was having these horrible, horrible, painful periods. Um, and went and saw my gynecologist at the time, who was a male gynecologist. Um, I was having heavy, heavy bleeding, painful to the, to the point where I was doubled over for the first two days of my period, couldn't go to work. You know, just really miserable kind of stuff. And his big concern was that I was 30 pounds overweight. 
and you know, looking back on it now, Judy, as a healthcare provider, I can see that you know, um, adipose tissue holds extra estrogenation, and we know that. Um, it may be contributory to some of the PCOS type symptoms, et cetera. But I'm not talking about your standard PCOS symptoms. I'm talking about a near hemorrhage every time I had a period and and pain that was that was um, disrupting my life. And um, basically just ignore me. I went in for these issues um, and there was no real exam. And he hardly asked me anything about my periods or the pain I was having or how much bleeding I was having or if I was clotting or anything like that. Um, but I did leave the office with a uh, weight loss clinic referral. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, um, so, you know, it turns out I did have, I did have PCOS, but I also had, um, I had, uh, you know, very large cysts on my ovaries and sometimes would, would rupture um, at certain times of the month. And, and there was more going on there than just weight, obviously. Um, and so, you know, that, that was incredibly frustrating. And, and throughout the years, and I'm in my late forties now, um, you know, my, my weight's been blamed for pretty much everything that's wrong with me. And I'm, as a healthcare provider, I'm here to tell you that weight is almost always a symptom of something else. Right. Um, yeah, it becomes a vicious, a vicious circle and weight can cause other issues. But really, we should be looking at the root cause of things and, you know, why is this person so overweight? Why does the weight keep coming on? Um, you know, nobody becomes overweight on purpose. Uh, well, some people do, but that's a different pathology. But <laughs> we can talk yeah. to Sally about that. Right. But, um, you know, usually it's a symptom of hypothyroidism, of, um, you know, depression even. Uh, there's, there's lots of things that can cause weight gain overall. And so we really should be looking at those things. Um, but that's, that's not what a lot of providers do. And it's really unfortunate because sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I could... There was a time in my life um, where I, I could have walked into the ER, you know, uh, impaled by a light pole and they would have, you know, told me I'd feel better if I lost 30 pounds, you know? If, right. <laughs> I felt like they just completely ignored, you know, every health complaint that I had because I was overweight. Right. Well, and this list that we just looked at of the five things that trigger the doctors. Mm -hmm. um, the first one being emotional issues. Right. So um, remember that uh, segment of Golden Girls? I don't know if you used to watch Golden Girls like I oh, did. I, I guess I do. I still watch the Golden Girls. I love the Golden Girls. And uh, that, that uh, episode where Dorothy has chronic fatigue syndrome yes. and she goes to the doctor and they all tell her, there's nothing wrong with you. You need to join a gym. You need to color your hair. You need to go out and get a boyfriend. You need to go on a cruise you know, because what's wrong with you is not physical. And um, I wonder if they say that to men who come in with uh, that, those sort of symptoms, <laughs> because they think that uh, we're just hysterical and we're exaggerating our symptoms and we, um, 
are just making things up or we want attention or what we're unhappy and we need attention so that's we would go to the doctor for that there's a hundred different places i'd rather go for attention than to the doctor but um <laughs> most people would yeah yes so um you know so the the word hysterectomy comes from the fact that they believed our uterus made us hysterical yeah, yeah. and so we need to take out those that yeah. uterus because then you'll be more reasonable and you won't be so emotional <laughs> uh, which of course we know is not the case um but um so i would say that probably um intelligence and insurance coverage so if someone comes in and they don't have anything but Medicaid, I think a lot of doctors would tend to say, oh, well, they're not very intelligent because they would be able to get a better job and be able to afford insurance. Uh, if, and that's probably feeds into that bias. Um, you did say that your clinic takes Medicaid. You did tell me that. That was a very conscious decision on my, point, on my right. part because my, my clinic actually doesn't take commercial insurance. Right. Um, but we will take Medicaid. And, okay. uh, yeah, I, I actually find that, um, it's, you know, insurance discrimination could actually be a whole, a whole other podcast. Um, right. <laughs> something Absolutely. That I actually probably will cover on, over on my own podcast at some point. But, um, right. you know, I find that most fam families and, and individuals on Medicaid are actually, they are the self-employed. They are right. the work, working poor. Yes. Um, and to not help those people um, when they're really the backbone of society um, is right. just shameful, in my opinion. Right. And I did notice, too, you know, you said you'd had a lot of problem with OBGYNs. Is there any other particular kind of doctor that you've had problems with? Um, you know, um, you know, I. I <laughs> uh, personally there's been a few uh yeah personally there's been a few um endocrinologists i have issues with um i had i actually oh here's a good here's a good one for you um i i waited about six months to see who was supposedly the one of the best endocrinologists in denver when i was first diagnosed with hashimoto's um hypothyroid and he came in, looked at me, didn't really ask me any questions or talk to me at all. Um, didn't say anything about my thyroid or explain to me what was going on. And this is before I went to uh, went to graduate school and became a nurse practitioner. And you know, I, I was fairly young at this point. And he looked at me and he said, um, "You'll feel a lot better." if you get your weight down, um, I want you to stick to 800 calories a day and I'm switching oh. to right and he walked out. Oh, that's the worst advice you could give. <laughs> absolutely, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the worst advice you could give. No explanation as to how to do that or a healthy way to do that or why that was so important or you know any, anything of, of the sort. It was just, um, you know, yep, she's heavy, eat 800 calories a day, and I'm switching to synthroid, and, you know, right. So Just for our listening audience, 800 calories a day is not healthy for anyone. I don't care. No, it is not. No, it's not. 
<laughs> you can talk 1200 calories a day is the bare minimum, even when you're dieting, even when right. you're dieting. Right. Um, and so we can do yeah. a whole other podcast about yes, that. <laughs> but that does not pertain to polyamory at all. So, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But, anyway. uh, you know, supposedly, right, one of, one of the top minds in endocrinology, um, this is his advice to me. Didn't talk to me about what Hashimoto's thyroiditis was, um, you know, what sort of changes I should make in my diet. Um, didn't explain why he was changing my medication, um, which actually turned out to be a bad idea. We had to change back. But no, his big concern was that you're heavy, eat 800 calories, I'll see you next year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, According to my list here, which I didn't read well ago, there's five categories of doctors that are the most likely to have bias. That's emergency, emergency room doctors, uh, psychiatrists, orthopedists, family doctors, and OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure why those are more of a problem than the others. Do you have an opinion on that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having worked in trauma, um, I, I can I can tell you that people who are overweight, um, we tend to see more issues sort of accident-wise, and there's this sort of idea that they're overweight because they're lazy, or they're overweight um, because they want to stay that way somehow, and basically... I find that ER docs, um, I think that discrimination probably comes from the fact that they're they're trying to work through things really quickly. They don't have time and, you know, for better or for worse, right? Um, because the ER's job is not to fix you. The ER's job is to make sure you don't die in the ER. Right. You either go and stable or you go or you get checked into the hospital stable. That's their job. And I get that. Um, right. But basically, right. they don't have the time um, to deal with all of the surrounding issues um, and the more complicated comorbidities that especially morbidly obese people do tend to have. And so I think it becomes a, sort of an, oh, you know, here comes another one, you know, um, right. attitude because they're more complex sometimes. And yes, that's a generality. There's plenty of skinny people who are incredibly complex, Um, but it's a generality and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Right. Okay. Um, So tell me about, uh, you have experienced also some discrimination because of being polyamorous. Could you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, and, And that's more, you know, I think in in the you know general practitioner primary care realm, when you know talking to my my family doctor, my primary care doctor about you know my my annual visit type needs, um, I always request um, STI testing every year, always, um, and I get looked at sideways. Um, Oh, you don't need that. No, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> and I explain why. Um, and then it's it's instant judgment. It's almost always instant judgment. Um, 
And I don't feel like I or anyone else should have to explain why um, I've chosen the lifestyle that I have or why I am the way I am um, to be cared for well. I feel like if you're willing to be open enough with your provider to say, you know, these are my needs because, uh, then they should honor that. But, um, you know, I, I have flat refused, um, I've been refused, uh, STI screenings. Um, I've been told to schedule with a different provider next time and a provider stopped seeing me. Um, didn't want to talk to me anymore. Wanted me to see someone else in the practice. Um, I no longer go to that practice, obviously. Um, and I have a wonderful provider now who I can be 100% open with and, she, and, and she's lovely and I appreciate her. But um, that took some time and that took some digging. So, um, and I, I promised myself that if I ever opened my own practice, I would not be that way with patients. Um, and so we are incredibly open and accepting and always listen to what our patient actually needs without uh, any, any sort of judgment because that's not why we're there. Right. Well, and this feeds in kind of to the insurance issue, but my mm-hmm. husband and I were going to a particular doctor and we went to her for the first visit and she gave us a list of things that we would have to do if we were in her practice. And some of the things I object to, and I, you know, it's each person's individual decision, but um, there were certain things that she wanted me to do that she has all her patients do that I wasn't gonna do. And I told her so. And she said, well, um, one of them was mammograms. That's just my personal choice that I don't have them. And there, I have reasons why. But anyway, um, she says, look, I don't care if you have your mammogram or not, but here's what happens. If you don't have it, then I get a nasty letter from your insurance company that says, you've got 500 patients and 30 of them didn't get their mammograms. So you're not following the protocols. So we're not gonna pay you as much as we would normally pay you because you're not following, getting your patients to follow the protocols. So she says, then I have to send you a nasty letter and say, you can't be in my practice. And I said, well, you won't have to because I'm not gonna be in your practice anyway. <laughs> so then I went and found my, uh, my uh, doctor that I have now, Dr. Allison Fry, and she's with Peak Med, which is also direct primary care. And she's also, she's also been on this show talking about sexual health. And um, there's been no judgment from her. You know, she didn't even bat an eye when I told her about our lifestyle. So I'm very proud, you know, to refer people to her as well. Even though, you know, I, you guys probably do things much more naturally <laughs> than, than the traditional uh, physician's office. But um, I was really proud that she's never given me a problem. I told her, here's what I will do and here's what I won't do. And I really don't want to argue about it. And she says, okay. She says, I'm not here to twist your arm. I will tell you what the recommendations are and you make the choice and we won't won't discuss it further. And I'm really happy with that. And that's how it should be. Well, Um, and she can do that because she has that option because she's not beholden to the insurance company. Right, absolutely, yes. That's why we go. (laughs) <laughs> so um okay um so why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice and how people could get in touch with you if they would like to work with you my practice is um, cura personalis integrative health and um i chose the name because cura personalis is latin for treat the whole person 
Um, yes. I don't believe in in sort of chopping people up and sending them one place for mental health care and one place for their well woman exam and a different place for their um, for their weight loss issues and a different place for you know so on and so yes. forth. Um, you know there there is a lot that primary care can handle and 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 should and is absolutely within our scope of practice um, and so we try and do what we can for patients in terms of their emotional spiritual um, and mental health um, and sort of believe that's the cornerstone foundation to to all other health care because you, you really can't have a healthy body without a healthy mind um, and vice versa so um, right. we have offices in Denver and Colorado Springs we have to do health Mental health nurse practitioner, um, a licensed social worker who sees um, adolescents and adults uh, for mental health therapy, and a uh, licensed professional counselor who also sees adolescents and adults uh, for mental health counseling. So we really cover a lot for our patients. Um, we're membership based, uh, but also offer all card services. Um, so we don't take commercial insurance, but as I said, I, I do take Medicaid. I think it's important as a personal conviction of mine. Um, you know, when I left my my six-figure corporate healthcare job to start my own practice, uh, my kids and I, and I'm not ashamed to say, we're on Medicaid ourselves for a bit because I was a small business owner just starting out using my own, you know, my own money and, and uh, some other people's money that I had to sort of, you know, beg, borrow, and, and uh, to get my practice started, and, and that's what we had to do. Um, I don't think it's fair to discriminate based on that, but commercial insurance really, really holds people back from getting the testing they need, from getting the time they need, for, from being able to have that real therapeutic relationship with their provider where they feel comfortable enough to talk about things like the fact that they're polyamorous, right? Or maybe concerns that they have about their weight that have nothing to do with actually losing weight, right? Um, I, I honestly don't think anybody needs a referral to a weight loss clinic from their primary provider. Everybody knows where to go for those services, okay? <laughs> Right. right. Everybody knows where Weight Watchers is. Um, you know, everybody knows about my fitness pal and how to count your carbs and your calories and everything else. What people need is coaching and support and someone looking at their core physical issues that may be contributory to their weight. Right. So that's what we try and do is look at the root cause of issues and, and not just about weight, but about chronic pain, about, you know, depression, anxiety, um, even things like fibromyalgia. Um, we're looking at the root causes. We're looking at for vitamin deficiencies and, and some of the things that just get skipped in a five-minute visit um, with your primary care provider that sees you once a year listens to your heart and lungs, looks at your uh, cholesterol and says, okay, you look great. See you next year. <laughs> to me, right. that's not, that's not good primary health care. 
No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and, and uh, talking with us today about these important issues. Um, I did want to mention that I do, I am putting together a list of poly-friendly therapists. Um, great. And, and so I will be, I will be posting a link to that in the show notes and there will be, those will be posted on my blog. Um, if you know of someone who should be on this list and you don't see their name, uh, please feel free to leave a comment and we'll see about putting them on the list. Um, but uh, please visit the Center for Unhindered Living's uh, blog at unhindered-living.com. Join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhinderedliving. Has something that we've talked about today been of interest to you and would you like to leave a comment? Please join the discussion. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Currently episodes of this podcast can be found on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Amazon Music, and Radio Public, as well as our YouTube channel. Thanks for being here, Erin. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.